0: You are listening to Tough Island, Maine on WERU Community Radio, 89.9 on your FM dial, serving mid-coast, down-east, and central Maine and on the internet at WERU.org. Warning, these true stories may not be appropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. Some names have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty. Chapter 4 My name is Crashberry, and for two years, when I was a much younger man, I lived on Matinicus, Maine's most remote inhabited island. A couple of years living in a fish shack didn't make me an expert on Matinicus, But it was a long enough immersion to recognize the distinctive nature of the island. To see beyond the myth and the hype. To study a unique society with a wannabe writer's brain. Filtered through a thick lens of drugs, (laughs) youth, and hard work. My time on Matinakis taught me an important lesson. Be careful on Tough Island. Last time on Tough Island, Maine. We heard the people of Matinicus having a party on the morning they ran the sheriff's deputy, Gerald Day, off the island. And we learned that trash disposal techniques on the island usually involved either fire or throwing the trash in the ocean or off a cliff. To listen to previous episodes of Tough Island, visit CrashBerry.com, where you can also view my illustrations of Captain Donald, his wife Mary Margaret, and other folks and locations from these stories. You can also listen via the WERU archives at WERU.org. She may have been tall or short. Zoftig, or Junkie Rail thin. Hello there. She may have been a blonde, a brunette, a redhead, or raven-haired. Hi there. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to describe her, other than to tell you that her skin was soft, and she was another man's wife. Knock, knock. Uninvited, she climbed the stairs to the second floor of my fish house and walked right into my room. She introduced herself with a bottle of whiskey in one hand. Do you like bourbon? And a fat joint in the other. How do you feel about marijuana? Didn't take long for her mission to become clear. She was there to have sex with me. I'd been living on the island for two months, and my only pals were a half dozen other stern men. Yeah. 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 Nice. Married island women, in their role as other men's wives, seemed blurry and distant. Hello there. Hey there. I hadn't noticed her before. Nice to meet you. But she certainly got my attention fast. Real fast. I'm here to have sex with you. For the next couple of weeks. We dallied in weird places at strange times of day. I'll be down in ten minutes. She was hungry. I can be down there in fifteen minutes. And a little freaky. I'll be there in a half hour. Happy with the attention and the action. Are you thirsty for me? I aimed to please. I'm hungry and a little freaky. Then, one day, her husband went to the mainland. He's visiting his girlfriend. We have the place to ourselves. Do you like my lingerie? And she was dressed by Fredericks of Hollywood. Wanna take a bath? After a long bath in scented water, She made love to me on satin sheets. Which, in my opinion, were too slippery. Are you ready for supper? Then, she prepared a fine feast. A nice salad, lobster stew, and biscuits. How do you like your meat cooked? Steaks on the grill. Medium rare. Steamed spinach. Baked potatoes with sour cream and sex for dessert. Afterwards, we lounge naked on her marital bed. How about another drink and a little more of my husband's weed? With another whiskey and one more joint. Content. Content. <laughs> She cuddled inside. <sighs> By 9 p.m., my drink was gone. Time to leave. It was the middle of the night. According to my Metanicus clock, this was great, I said, trying to figure out how to extricate my arm and unwrap from her embrace without disturbing her comfort. But it's late and I better get going. I have to haul early. Don't morning. be silly. You can sleep here, she murmured and snuggled. I told you, he's gone until tomorrow morning. I couldn't take that chance, of course. And besides, I'd never reach deep slumber there. My restless psyche would awaken with every creaking board and whisper of wind. I knew the early return of her husband would mean my certain death at his hands. It's one thing sleeping with a fellow's wife. It's another spending the night in his bed. I need to go, I said, perhaps a little too forcefully. She pulled me closer. You have to stay, she said, slowly stressing each word. I Cooked you dinner. We made love. Twice. You can't leave. Clearly she wasn't going to listen to my rationale. You have to stay. I sat up and swung my legs toward the floor. Don't go. Her arms were still wrapped around my torso. You better not. I'm warning you. She said, releasing me only when I got on my feet. I said, don't Go. I pulled on my boxers and jeans. If you leave, we'll never have sex again. My silent answer was to button my shirt and sit at the foot of the bed to don my shoes and socks. Then I stood again. She pointed at me. Her cheeks trembled. We're through. And her eyes went wide. You, you son of a, a bitch. bitch. She grabbed my empty whiskey glass from the nightstand and threw it at me. I easily sidestepped. I hate you, you son of a bitch. I headed downstairs and she followed. Switching tactics. Please stay. Leading. Begging. Please don't go. Promising. I'll get up extra early. I'll cook you bacon and eggs before you have to go out to hall with Donald. I ignored the tempting breakfast offer and dashed for the door. Please don't leave. And into the night. No. On the path back to my shack on the shore, felt like someone was watching me. I stopped, turned, listened, and looked around. Dozens and dozens of pairs of eyes glared at me from the darkness of the scrub pines. Cats. Feral cats. The island was overrun with them. Aside from the fling with the cougar, there was no romance for me until the end of the summer when I met Alice, a 32 year old school teacher from southern Maine. there. Her grandparents had moved off Matinicus to find work decades before, but they had kept the family homestead as a camp, which is what Mainers call a cottage. So she was spending a couple of weeks on the island and a pal introduced us. We hit it off immediately, enjoying a dinner at the Matinicus version of a restaurant someone's illegal backyard picnic table cafe. After a lobster dinner, she took me home to her grandparents' sparsely furnished abode where we really got to know each other. The next morning, Captain Donald and I rendezvoused, as usual,
1: 10 minutes before dawn.
0: Morning, boss. Where were you last night? Couldn't find you nowhere. Coast Guard called about a sinking boat. Ended up having to go rescue them all by myself. Captain Donald had an unusual relationship with the Coast Guard. Because Matinicus was so far offshore, on the outer banks of Penobscot Bay, Captain Donald often helped the Coasties with search and rescues. No money was ever exchanged, but Donald was welcome to tie up at the Coast Guard station in Rockland, where the Coasties would keep a watchful eye on his boat and occasionally fill his fuel tank. So while Alice and I were rolling around on the kitchen floor, Captain Donald was en route to an emergency, a 40-foot boat under full sail had crashed into Matinicus Rock. The skipper never saw the 90-foot-tall lighthouse because he was below deck having sex with his mistress. Mayday. Uh, uh, Mayday. Uh,
1: Mayday. Mayday. We're sinking. Hello, Mayday. Anyone on this radio? Mayday. Hello, Coast Guard. We're sinking. Mayday.
0: Vessel in Distress, this is Coast Guard Station Rockland. What is your location and the name of your vessel? Over.
1: Uh, uh yeah, Coast Guard, uh, I don't know where we are. We, we just hit a bunch of rocks and there's a hole in the wall of the boat and the water uh, The water's rushing in.
0: Vessel in Distress, this is Coast Guard Station Rockland. We need your boat name and your location. Over.
1: Coast Guard, the the name of the vessel is the the Perseverance. Uh, It's a rental, a a 40-foot sailboat. We're on a sailing vacation. There's an island with a lighthouse up. I don't know where we are. Somewhere near Bar Harbor, I think. But honestly, I don't know. All I know, there's a little island in front of us with a giant lighthouse on it. But I'm pretty damn sure we're gonna be sunk pretty soon.
0: Perseverance, this is Coast Guard Station Rockland. How many people are on your vessel? Over. Uh, yeah, Coast Guard.
1: Well, it's, um, it's just the two of us, myself and, uh, my, um, my assistant. Yeah.
0: Perseverance, this is Coast Guard Station Rockland. Do you have a life raft aboard? Over.
1: Uh, well, yeah, we're we're towing a small skiff uh, behind us. It's about ten feet long and it has a motor on it, but I don't know where to go!
0: Perseverance, this is Station Rockland. Be advised, you should both be wearing life jackets or survival suits and prepare to abandon ship, over.
1: Uh, Coast Guard, there's a bunch of water coming in like a flood, so hurry up and get here, will you?
0: Perseverance, this is Station Rockland. Can you read me the numbers on your Loran unit, over?
1: Yeah, hold on, I I can get the numbers. they need our red numbers, and uh, we should get life jackets on. <laughs> oh, oh, come on! Now, there, honey, don't worry. We're we're gonna be fine. The Coast Guard's gonna rescue us. Get that life jacket on. Okay, I gotta get these numbers. Uh, forty-three point seven eight three six north, sixty-eight point
0: eight five four nine
1: west. You got that?
0: Standby, Perseverance. Okay, that puts you right at Matinicus Rock. Over. Coast Guard, well, we're definitely sinking. We're abandoning ship. Mayday, mayday. Hurry up and, and save After screaming mayday into the radio, the couple escaped by climbing into a little boat they'd been towing, a rubber skiff with a three-horse outboard. Uh, It's okay, honey. Uh, The Coast Guard is going to save us. (laughs) They waited for rescue, bobbing in a gentle sea as the sailboat went down in front of them. Every ten seconds, the darkness was interrupted by a blast of light pulsing from the rock's towering beacon. Oh,
1: look away. That, That light is very bright.
0: Captain Donald reached the lovers minutes after the sailboat went under.
1: Hey there, wondering if you folks need a lift.
0: (laughs) He lashed the dinghy to his stern and headed toward the mainland with two grateful passengers aboard his lobster boat. My name is Donald, and I'll be your captain this evening. Ah. Why, thank you, Captain. Now, could you tell us uh, where exactly we are? You, sir, are practically on top of Matinicus Rock. Six miles in that direction is the island of Matinicus. And twenty miles beyond that, that, that's Rockland, Maine. Where were you headed? Ah, Bar Harbor.
1: Mm -hmm. Bar Harbor?
0: That's another about fifty miles or so. Sorry to say, your your boat won't be able to make the trip. (laughs) The Coasties met him halfway and took the couple aboard their 41-footer. But the Coasties wouldn't take the skiff. Their job was saving lives, not rescuing personal property. Donald agreed to keep the little boat until arrangements to retrieve it could be made. All right, I'll take the skiff until they can come back to the island and uh, pick it up. So this morning, Captain Donald was tired and grumpy. Didn't make it home till half past midnight. And now, five hours later, it was time to go to work. We're headed over the rock. We'll haul those 250 traps in the shallow water, and we'll see what happened to that boat. (laughs) We got underway and headed to the spot of the previous night's drama. We arrived at Matinicus Rock as the sun cleared the horizon. In the early light, we could see the very top of the sunken vessel's sail breaking the surface of the water. Looks like a toy sailboat, don't it? Waves splashed over the mast. Yeah, the the puffins really seem to like that little boat, don't they? (laughs) Atlantic puffins, a cute and colorful little bird, landed and swam around the sail, and I wished I had a camera. That fella was clueless, Captain Donald said. When I picked them up, he had no idea where he was. (laughs) Huh, friggin' moron. And shook his head. They'll rent a boat to any idiot with a credit card. We started to haul our traps. A half hour passed, and I was stuffing bait bags with rotten herring when, out of the corner of my eye... I saw something leap from the water.
1: What the hell is that?
0: I said, pointing at the brightly colored object floating 50 feet off our starboard.
1: I have no idea.
0: Captain Donald came about and around and gaffed the thing with his hook. it's a basket with silk flowers. <laughs> a few seconds later, a large brown wooden object emerged from the deep with such momentum that for a moment it broke free of the ocean's grasp and went airborne. It's a, it's a galley table. Nice. Uh, looks like mahogany. Then several upholstered cushions popped up to the surface, just like corks. She's breaking up <laughs> right now. We've got salvage rights. <laughs> we fished the mahogany galley table out of the drink. That table would be nice in the fish house, but the rest ain't worth a damn. The table had a storage box inlaid in the center. And inside the box, I discovered a treasure a cup full of quarters, dimes, and nickels. At least $10 worth of change. I'm going to keep these flowers for Mary Margaret. She's always complaining that I don't ever get her nothing. Well, here you go, dear. I got you this bouquet. (laughs) Donald also kept the skiff. His grandkids had a blast scooting around the harbor in the little boat. The guy from New Jersey called, and so did somebody from the insurance company. Donald told them both the same thing. Uh, Yeah, I think the Coast Guard must have uh, taken that boat ashore. I don't know nothing about no skiff. (laughs) The salvaged mahogany table improved the decor of my pad. I paid 60 bucks to a handy fella in Rockland to build a new base for the table out of pipe. And my typewriter fit well on the table next to a pile of books and papers and a big ashtray. I made a special spot for a whiskey bottle and my small bong. <coughs> And there was still enough room for a plate of potatoes or a bowl of pasta or a heap of mussels or a bunch of short lobsters. My steady paycheck also allowed me to afford creature comforts heretofore unknown to me. I got rid of the cot and bought a futon, and I bought a pretty good stereo, a better pair of work boots, some pots and pans and plates and a ton of books thanks to my membership in a couple different paperback of the month clubs plus what I bought at Rockland's awesome used bookstore. Once every week or so, Captain Donald and I hauled our lobster crates aboard the dotted Eye and made the 12-mile trip north to the island of Vinylhaven, where Captain Donald was a member of the co-op. It would have been much easier to sell our catch on a daily basis at the lobster car and bait scout located in Matinicus Harbor. Victor's a thief. That's how most of the fishermen on the island did business. Selling their lobsters at the end of the workday, refilling their bait box and fuel tanks, but not Captain Donald. Oh, I could tell you some stories about that son of a bitch, Victor. Oh boy, he'd steal it from his mother, then joke about it. As for Victor the Bandit's business practices, according to Donald, he didn't have any. He's got his scales rigged, that's for sure. And his bait ain't nothing to brag about. Rotten, but not in a good way. That's why we go to Vinyl Haven. Plus, we get an extra 25 cents per pound to lobster. And let me tell you... That adds up, yes, sir. And sometimes on Vinyl Haven, we'd have to load up on bait, which meant shoveling bushels of herring into totes and then reshoveling the fish into our scow bait boxes back on Matinicus. crow, don't that bait stink? And every other trip, we'd bring eight empty 55-gallon fuel barrels to fill with diesel fuel. And i never buy diesel from Victor, that friggin' swindler. Probably waters it down so that shyster can make a couple extra pennies. I know it's a pain in the ass, but I'm saving about 15 cents per gallon as a savings of $8 per barrel of diesel. My pay was 15% of the catch, minus bait and fuel. So in theory, the extra labor meant more money in my pocket. And it's money that I keep away from that scum bucket, Victor. But you got to consider the amount of hard work that went into hauling that fuel. First, I'd have to load eight empty drums on the dotted eye, along with a week's worth of lobster crates. Then we'd make the trip to Vinalhaven, which took an hour. And then while Captain Donald sold the bugs, I pumped the diesel. Upon our return to Metinicus, using a rickety winch, we'd haul the fuel barrels, each weighing about 400 pounds.
1: Careful! Careful! Be careful! Master!
0: Up out of the boat and onto the dock,
1: A little slower. Aye.
0: And then muckle them into the shack that doubled as my outhouse. And then every other day, time to fuel up, I'd muckle one of the drums out in order to refuel the dotted eye. And we hauled these fuel barrels, time to do the barrels, (laughs) again, every other week. Since I earned 15% of the catch, After Bait and Fuel, the work as a fuel transfer technician added a whopping $4 to my weekly paycheck. Financially, though, it balanced out for me thanks to Captain Donald's side gig of bringing pilots to and from the huge tankers and freighters plying the waters off of Rockland and Searsport. Donald couldn't make the pickup trips alone, due to Coast Guard regulations, so I made 50 bucks per trip to go on a boat ride. Your job is lee, Captain. Meaning, if I have a heart attack and keel over, you take the wheel and make sure the pilot doesn't get crushed between our boat and the ship. I'm assuming you can handle the job. And it was easy money. Donald didn't discuss finances with me, though. That was Mary Margaret's department. And every week on payday, she'd remind me of how lucky I was to be working for them. Here's your check. This time it's for $625. Yeah. Uh thank you. That's a lot of money for the amount of work you do. Yeah, I bet you there's lots of good men out there who would love to earn this amount of money. I said thank you. You're lucky Donald and I are paying you so well. Otherwise, you'd probably be a homeless bum. (laughs) With that long hair and beard, looks like a bum, don't he, though? As my beard and hair grew longer, Captain Donald was beginning to realize I wasn't a straight and narrow ex-coasty. He'd hired a crew cut, but gotten a hippie. Friggin' hippies ain't worth nothing. Donald was right about Victor, the shyster who ran the lobster-buying and bait-selling operation, a decade and a half later, other islanders finally got wise to his scams and ran Victor off Matinicus. Word was, however, that Victor got his revenge. Late one night, under the cover of darkness, Victor returned to the island, bearing several breeding pairs of raccoons, introducing the varmint to the island resulting in an invasion requiring serious raccoon eradication programs still in effect today. Next time on Tough Island, we get some Russian cigarettes, almost get stranded on a deserted island, and damage Captain Donald's truck. Tough Island is written, produced, and voiced by Crash Barry. That's me. Tough Island, Maine is based on the book, Tough Island. Visit CrashBerry.com for other episodes of Tough Island, Maine. You can also listen via the WERU archives at WERU.org. Visit CrashBerry.com for more information about my books or my investigative podcast about the child-molesting Catholic priests of Springfield, Massachusetts, called devils and dirtbags. Also at CrashBerry.com are illustrations from this week's episode. And remember, be careful on Tough Island.